the one who has the power to give won't he have the power to know we are waiting for god to make things happen but maybe god is waiting for us to perform our actions our karma welcome to the podcast karma is supreme don't forget to join our spiritual community by subscribing liking and sharing your celestial energy with your fellow seekers for exclusive links to spiritual freebies courses events movies and more visit my website kashishkambhir.com namaste everyone today i am with anika lucas who is an author speaker and advocate for child sex trafficking victims and creator of the unconditional model her work is based on personal experience of a 30 year healing journey after surviving being sold by her family as a child sex slave to a pedophile network her healing through psychotherapy writing yoga and meditation were synthesized during a decade of service with incarcerated populations and with the survivors of sex trafficking inside and outside of prisons sharing her own healing shaped her message for personal and global evolution through the unconditional model the mindfulness modality she developed now let's listen to anika so i was listening to your uh, tedx talk and uh, it was very hard for me to believe that such pedophile networks of course they exist that i know but they consist of people who are world leaders who have visible you said they have visible place you know leading places in the world so i'm i'm just sort of trying to assimilate that somewhere you know how how true is that i'm still you know i still want to listen it from you okay right now sure Well, yeah, that was my experience as a child. Um so I do want to show you the book that I just finished writing, which is my memoir. It's the memoir of a child sex slave. It's called Quest for Love, and I chronicle in that um a year of my childhood from 10 to 11 as a child sex slave, but the time that in my childhood that I was what I call at the seat of power, which were people who both behind the scenes and on the scenes were very powerful at that time were were those world leaders that was from the age of 9 to 10 mm. and i know that that is very difficult to grasp that uh, people who have such important positions in the world would be um so emotionally inequipped as to uh, need to, to not only connect emotionally with children which is safer for them but also um commit the most heinous acts towards children um it's a system that if you look a little bit closely to the world it should not really be a surprise it's just to be able to be brave enough to follow the the thread um when we look at the world and we see the wars and we see um all the injustice in the world it and the greed it shouldn't be too much of a stretch to think that there's something very very wrong with those people who govern us mm-hmm. and the, there i'm not saying that everybody is doing this obviously but i am saying that the system works in a way so that as you climb to the top of any position any uh, or any 
um, either it's a corporation or a country or um, an organization, as you climb to any uh, any top, it's very rare that someone manages not to make some choices that go against one's integrity, that go against um, the, the the good for the people uh, that they are responsible for. And um, when you take that to the extreme, when you look at the world today, when you look at the senseless wars and you look at the, especially the inequality mm-hmm. that is, where okay. does that come from? You know, there is really no need for poverty in this world with the technologies that we have. Absolutely. Um, I agree. So the, the fact that there is, is because the people who are at the top feel that, that they are superior. And they wanted to remain that way. Yes, they needed to remain that way because from that place of superiority, which is in itself, you could say, a psychological failing. You know, there's something wrong with someone who needs to feel superior to others. That is to say that inside they actually feel inferior. Mm -hmm. They they, they don't have self-esteem. And from that place of superiority, all evils are justified. And they then are together in in a belief system, which is called Satanism, which um, sort of justifies everything that that happens next. And it's it's like it's like falling into a pit when you make maybe one or two wrong choices for power instead of for integrity and truth. Mm-hmm. Um, that at some point you have fallen into a pit where you can only keep going down. And it takes either, you know, it will cost your life or it will take tremendous bravery to to get out of. Yeah, it all connects. You know, uh, as you say, I was connecting the dots. We were having this vegan event two days ago. And uh, we were pondering over this thing that, you know, how is it that we have this world hunger? Because uh, I made a point that uh, Guru Nanak Ji, who was the pioneer of Sikhism, he... um, found out the solution to hunger 400 years ago. He he set up community kitchens at that time, 400 years ago, he did that. And he basically set up a system that is ongoing right now in the Sikh community. And they are very open to, you know, bringing all the people from different faiths also um, to the Gurdwaras, to the community kitchens. They are very open to that. But then what we were discussing was that how is it that it has not been replicated in the entire world? Why? I mean, it's not like they won't be aware of it. <laughs> they must be aware of it. And now, as you said, suddenly that connected. Oh, yes. Those who are in power, they want to remain in power. That's the whole thing. Uh, and they need this power in order to keep feeling that they are superior and to keep proving to themselves that they are superior and also to keep doing all these things in the name of Satan uh, yeah. which are really atrocious things that that happen. In, in, and, and I do write a little bit about that in my book, but mostly with uh, having been um, a victim of these crimes, I write about it mostly from the psychological viewpoint as I have gone through these things and I was supposed to become one of them. And then having stepped out of that at a young age, chosen not to be part of it. Well, it wasn't a very conscious choice. I will say that I couldn't go on. Um, because I had a conscience and at nine years old I really chose or 10 years old I chose not I I chose against it but I didn't really understand the consequences of my choice then I didn't understand that I would 
how I would be treated uh, for rejecting mm-hmm. what I had to do. Um, I thought I might be killed, but that would have maybe been easier than what was done to me then. Um, so the 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 grotesque things that are happening at the top in in secret at the top levels but not only at the top levels obviously a network like that needs to be maintained and um i work with survivors of satanic ritual abuse and mind control all day long uh, i counsel people uh who have experienced this and i can tell you that i've had a i've developed a a good picture of how it is put together as a, a large network, a satanic network that has um, small town branches of Satan, of, of you know, sa- a small group of Satanists who indoctrinate their own children into this cult. That means through abuse, it's it's a, it's a system of abuse of, of uh, psychological uh, abuse and terror that is inflicted on their own children. They murder children, uh, they rape, and they use their own children to move up in the world. That's to say, to connect with the bigger network, the, the people who have more power inside the network. Their conscience is dead. Absolutely. Yes. And the more you choose, so this is what happens and as far as you know, making choices for either integrity and truth, which is the spiritual choice, um, which often puts you on a very lonely road, or to belong, or to make the choice to belong and to give up your own integrity and to um, to get the power, which is the, the the choice away from truth and dignity and and self uh, to to belong to the circle of power which um, you know the more you make choices in that direction the, the more you are you become compromised mm-hmm. so tell me something just out of curiosity like you said you were sold at the age of six did you at that time have any kind of existential crisis anything like that you experienced during that right time? away i was i was confronted with her horrific um, humiliation. I was being abused and I was humiliated horrendously. But having had a caretaker in my early years who had loved me, I had a sense, I had a sense of self, which translates into a sense of self-esteem, which means that when this happened to me, I knew that it was wrong. And I stood up and, in fact, said to the people there that I would make sure they would all go to jail. And, um, of course, I was severely punished for that. But I had this thread of truth that was with me, which uh, was not only the love of the person who had loved me in the first three years, but also spiritual help that would come at certain crucial times during the abuse, during some very um, awful moments, I had comfort from spirit. And um, so even though 
I lost that sense a lot also. You know, I was trained, mind control, trained to be a sex slave for the elite. That's how I saw a lot of the, the people who were in power at that time, which we're talking now. Um, when I was nine, it was 1972. So I saw the world leaders of that time, several of the world leaders. And um, so, yes, I had a sense of self, which is ultimately what led me to to my healing. Mm-hmm. And also to to reject that 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 pit, you know, it's like a it's like falling into the pit, but it it happens gradually. So it depends on a person's psychology and mindset if they're going to keep going along with it. And obviously, a lot of people in power may not be participating, but at least they're not doing anything to change it. You know, they there is enough for everyone to know. When once you do have power, you have a lot of money, or you have um, a very visible position in the world, you will know what happens. And if you want to stay there, you better not rock rock that boat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we proceed further, I would really like to request my listeners to uh, do check out the link for Quest for Love, Anika's uh, book in the description. So um, I do see that you are a strength to many women today. I see how many women are connecting to you. They have gone through the same journey and they do not have that courage to come up and speak like you had that courage and you are giving that strength to other women now. Uh, I would like to ask you, um, when you were sold to these psychopaths, was at that time, was your mother was she always like that, you know, when this whole incident took place? Or did she become like that when in, when she came in contact with this group of psychopaths? Yeah, I, I will happily talk about my mother. I just want to say that when it comes to courage, I find that a lot of, um, you know, women, some men who have been through the same um have a lot of courage um, and speaking out doesn't necessarily mean that you have more courage, but I do believe that in my particular case, as I was trained to be a public figure, mm-hmm. I was supposed to become famous. Uh, so I think that, and I was trained for that. I was trained to be public. I was trained to have interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mind control training to be an actress was not to learn to act, but it was to learn to be famous. So I, um, I, I have a certain comfort level with being public that other survivors of the same trauma, they don't have that at all, Got you it. know, because they never meant to be public. So I have a, you know, a tremendous leg up in that sense, you know. So, uh, but I find that all survivors have tremendous courage. And um, so speaking about my mother, my mother was always the same. Uh, my mother. But there's also I, one thing no? that when you, yeah. because of you coming forward, there is there is a voice there on the internet which was That's not true, there before, yeah. right? So, uh, though, see, I have not gone through that journey, but just listening to you, it just makes me wonder. Oh my God, so much courage a woman has to survive so many things and still yeah. stand strong. Wow, she must yeah. be something, you know. So that is something very big. Thank you. Yes. Well, courage is not something that you think about very much. Yes. It's just something that comes from my faith. 
because I do uh, have very strong faith. Um, I'm Paramahansa Yogananda is my guru. And so that um, lineage of, uh, you know, I, I practice that. And um, I saw Yogananda in my childhood. Um, he showed up and I... Um, I feel that that is what gives me the courage because I'm not, you know, just this body. And I, and I get to know that. And the more I trust that support, the more I, I, I get to, uh, to see the confirmation of that support and very strong support from um, my guru and the, 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 the great ones and, and, and the beings of light, let's say, I feel the support. So I feel rather fortunate in that sense but um thank you okay i i would like to ask a question on that but first we'll finish off with the previous question on your mother okay yes so my mother was um what you call a female psychopath which means that um she didn't really have any emotional maturity mm -hmm. and she actually did speak a lot of the time she sort of sounded like a, a very young girl like a five that she herself was uh, got stuck emotionally when her mother died, but we're we're talking about a five year old who was clearly heavily sexualized, who felt that the only way she could be loved was by being sexualized by men and being seen as sexual object by men, mm -hmm. and all the anger from what she did in humiliating herself towards men um, definitely came to me. She clearly saw me as an extension of herself, um, a very despicable extension of herself that um, had nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my my soul, my being. It was all her projection. Hmm. So from uh, from my birth, in fact, my mother was abusive. Oh. She, she went through all of that herself and... I don't know. I don't know what she went through. Uh, she was born right before the Second World War. I know that that she did suffer uh, in, in those years that, you know, she there was malnourishment in the town where she lived um, during the war years. Uh, there, there was poverty for sure. Um, I don't know exactly what she went through because she never told me. Mm -hmm. So, Annika, not... Um not related to your mother, but generally, I um, came across a man who is in a habit of hurting all the women that he meets. And mm -hmm. when I went into his past, I realized that he had a girlfriend who left him after eight years of relationship. And now he wants to hurt every girl, you know. Well, that's not an excuse, right? Or it's not a justification. It seems like when somebody does acts like that when you have someone who's narcissistic and hurts women right that the, the problem would not be a girlfriend left him once but the problem would be earlier in his life because someone who's stuck in narcissistic behavior mm -hmm. is acting from a very young place right you know it's a, it's a toddler who's narcissistic who needs to get to be the center of the world and developmentally it's you know the babies and the toddlers that are by nature narcissistic they need the parents around them, the, the the authority figures around them to serve them, to, you know, to, to help them live. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't happen, 
if the uh, affection isn't there, if the, you know, if, if things get twisted, if uh, children, you know, often very little children get to feel that they owe their parents something or mm-hmm. that, you know, they are good until, you know, it's like the what if, you know, you, you're a good boy, uh, unless this and then if you're if, if that little boy who's completely innocent, does something and has a behavior, um, parents very often can't really correct it with love, but instead make that boy feel that he's innately bad. And, you know, when men are narcissistic, to that degree that they hurt every woman they see, they become manipulative and so forth. There's usually something early, much earlier than. But I, I guess that I guess that first. we as healers attract such people a lot, uh, not a lot, but yeah, we do come across such people who are in need of help. But then I do think upon different perspectives. You know what could be what could be done about such a person. I do take different perspectives because every person is unique every person has different upbringing like you said they have a different background so maybe some things just click up but anyway we'll go back to your question Actually, um, from, from a healer perspective um i i have developed a healing modality called the unconditional model mm-hmm. which is essentially um has a vision of a society where those people have the care, those people and others who have been traumatized have the care, the constant care they need is basically when a provider, when a healer, you become a substitute parent for someone who is not emotionally mature. So as a healer, you also have that power. So it is a way, it's an application for healers to always make sure that you are not needing the lift you know when you are a healer people will look up to you so that you have your own internal egalitarian system where you don't need the power but you can read the power dynamics very clearly so that you can always be unconditionally present with someone and of course when we talk about people who are very uh damaged if you if they were surrounded by unconditional presence 24 7 which doesn't exist at this time, then there is, we don't know. I believe that it's possible. And in fact, my book describes my relationship with a psychopath mm-hmm. who had a small opening. That's how he ended up, he, he rescued me. But it's oh, definitely a psychopath, okay. but he rescued me from the network. But it's, it's, it's the hope that with the right, a treatment let's say that's that's to say all of society needs to change for this to be possible we all need to do the work on ourselves to create an egalitarian society first where there is no power abuse but within that to have 24 7 with, with a psychopath you never know there are definitely psychopaths who no matter how much love unconditional love they receive they will never receive it well, because, if the conscience is lost, then there's nothing left. Right. Exactly. Hmm. And then there's others who would be open, who would be able to heal. So um, I would really love to know how you really developed faith. I mean, a person who has gone through such circumstances would actually lose faith in the divine. But 
you say about you talk about unconditional love of course you were connected to you were introduced to paramahansa yogananda ji at you know at a young age but at the same time when one goes through so many things in life you know uh, they tend to lose faith so how did your faith remain well i actually did lose my faith um as a child i believe that it was the love of the caretaker that saved me initially that i had a sense of self and that i could, could connect to a greater self or to myself as not just the body uh through that initial human love that i received from from this 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 uh, caretaker but then to survive as a young as a teenager and a young adult i had i had to i i everything had been suppressed and to survive you know I, and and so i was in this mindset uh i was atheistic i i uh, and that is sort of a reflection of the darkness you know inside that i was <laughs> um could not see that there was anything possible that was good that was that was truly positive that was truly benign i couldn't see that but i because when i shut out the the experiences of horror from my childhood i also shut out the spiritual experiences that had come to that had been there to help me and and including um yogananda and the experience i had in a near death and i had a near death experience in which i met yogananda which is described in my book also and it was um i just gradually as i was healing in fact my therapy and the first time i i i was confronted with um abuse from my past it was the first opening into the spirit world as well i had to allow in this this light into the darkness and as i did that it was the opening of faith because i had to now trust that i would be carried by something greater than the ego so this real really was the beginning of faith it was small i went from being atheistic to being agnostic mm -hmm. um like there is something but we don't know what and then eventually as i healed my faith grew and then took form finally when i saw a poster with yogananda's face um at a bookstore in los angeles where i was just struck by this beautiful face and it was so familiar and then uh with my ex-husband at the time we read the autobiography of a yogi and then uh found out that we were living right next to a temple uh that he had uh, built so we we started going to the hollywood temple and i we joined a self realization fellowship and so i am still today part of uh, self realization fellowship and then once i reconnected with yogananda um and those teachings uh well that was the beginning of you know like leaps and bounds let's say of the faith mm. that connection that personal connection with the, the the representative of the divine if you will mm -hmm. so the therapy that you went through to get over all the all the things that you know had in your life did it start from there from the self realization fellowship or was there something else also that you did no i started therapy before i found self realization fellowship so several years before so in fact the faith started to grow early in therapy i did not remember 
these horrific things back then. I re- I was starting to remember other abuses that had happened. And then I didn't have a therapist. I was in therapy for 10 years before I found a therapist who could really take me to these darkest um, events, which was after I was already in self-realization fellowship. So I started therapy in the 80s. I found self-realization fellowship in 93 or 94. And then um, it was in 97 that I really delved into the the, the, the darkest, I mean, many, many of the darkest memories. Mm-hmm. Not all. They, they continue to come, by the way, that the memories and flashbacks, they, they continue. Yes, of course. Um, I read something about liberation prison yoga. Would you like to throw some light on that? Sure. Um, for 10 years, I went to bring yoga and meditation into the jails and prisons of New York where I live. And I created an organ. I was at first, I was just stunned that there was not an organization that was already doing this. So I thought, well, we have to create one. And then that's really how that, how that happened. Um, I started service um, in the prisons in 2010. And then in 2014, uh, started the organization, which was recently dissolved. I'm not doing this anymore. I always said I'm going to do this for about five years or so, and then I'm going to be working exclusively with survivors. And that is what happened. But it was a, such a beautiful service to go into the jails and prisons. Um, for me personally, when I was in the network, I was a slave in the network and I was very isolated. And I had always hoped that someone would come to give me hope, but no one ever came. Mm-hmm. So when I went into the jails and prisons where uh, people are very despairing, it was really um, a, a very beautiful thing for me to be able to give to others what I myself did not receive and to bring hope and to bring connection from the heart and to bring yoga practices, but especially the meditation when in the midst of jail with all the crazy noise around, to be able to find the stillness in the heart together and feel that stillness and feel that sacred sacredness together. That's the most beautiful experience. And I miss that. I really so miss what, that. What was the practice really in this liberation yoga? So that's how uh, the, the unconditional model really developed because I realized you don't go in and say, okay, we're going to do yoga, everybody. I mean, yes, technically we go do yoga, but really what was clear was most important is to connect from the heart and to make a heart connection with the people that, that we work with. And so we so I said, well, first we have to start with a little conversation and then we have to see where that goes. And clearly we don't want to tell people to do anything. We need to let people choose to do whatever they, they're going to do. So everything is like the language I developed the language to make sure that we don't use commands, that ev- that this, everything is really by invitation at every moment and that everybody gets the sense that now in this moment, they are free to do what I say or not. And then that sense of freedom is so rare in that environment that it becomes, it became, you know, very apparent that this was very important and brought great relief and, beautiful beautiful testimonies of people who you know something happens when you tell someone that 
whatever it is is okay, you know, that they can't do anything wrong. I, I think this is a very beautiful concept. But why did you stop, Kim? Well, I got more involved with survivors. And as I, I was public with my story since 2013, but there has been a lot more public interest in my story. And from that, I counsel survivors. Now, I was working with survivors of uh, child sex trafficking in the jails as well. And that was always the most important work for me. But now I was working increasingly with survivors of satanic ritual abuse and mind control. And then, of course, in 2020, suddenly everything shut down. We couldn't go in anymore. So the work stopped by the external circumstances. And then we had, you know, a little bit. We kept classes online and we did go and do one more program in 21. But um, it felt like it's, this This is the sign for me to step to step out and to let someone else, you know, do the work. Mm-hmm. So the satanic rituals and mind control group that you're talking about, um, how vast is their control is? And also something related that I would like to know is that when you ran away from the place, you know, from where, where you were captured, so um, were you being followed after that? Were you running from one place to another because of that? Well, I was. I didn't run. I was rescued. I don't think you can run, really. Um, I was rescued, and a deal was made for my life. Oh, okay. So my rescuer, who was himself the psychopath that I describe, and I write about that relationship um, in my book, he made a deal for my life. That included that he, as a young gangster, would go to work for the then Minister of National Defense of Belgium, who was also Prime Minister twice and who was the boss of this network in Belgium. So um, I uh, to talk about those people. This is a big political issue in Belgium that is supposedly an, a case that was never solved. Um, mm. But that gangster went to work for that politician in, in exchange for my life. So once I was out, uh, no, I was never followed. I was never bothered again. It was very clear that I should never speak or I would be killed. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think, especially at the time, I was rescued in 1974. Times have changed a lot. It felt like everything they did was always to make sure we would remain quiet. We, we children would remain quiet. And I was also with the programming. The programming is also to make sure that when you that you first of all dissociate and you know the to creating through trauma neuropathways that are um that create the the dissociative identity i mean it's called that i don't really feel that that's a correct nomer but basically it's already you're trained in a way so that you'll already not remember and then there's programs that are put in place. So mind control is mostly, you know, uh, forceful repetition. So um, that, for example, in order to remember, I was made sure that I would not remember through forceful repetition if, uh, or that the result of remembering would be that I would kill myself. Oh, So 
So there's a lot of programs and, and so the survivors are dealing with a lot of, you know, that, that are starting to remember these things. There's so many messages, internal messages that come to prevent you from remembering to begin with, let alone speak out. So first it's that, then speaking out, there's always a death threat. And I have received those as well. Um, Do you still yeah, receive death threats? Well, I haven't for a while, you know, um, but I did receive them loud and clear um, some 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 time ago. And, um, you know, it's clear. it was also clear what this was about. So it was about naming one particular perpetrator. So I haven't named that perpetrator. You know, I'm, I'm more, you know, it's not about not giving your life to the cause, which, you know, if that would be the right thing, then I would be happy to do that. But it's more that I'm not worth as much dead, you know, that's just not worth it. It's better that I'm alive and that I can keep spreading the message than that mm -hmm. I'm and that I'm dead uh, and saying this name, which probably would immediately be covered over and, you know, wouldn't really have the effect that you would want it to have anyway. I agree. I agree. 